So Money, episode 341, Jim Wang. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. So Money is brought to you today by Wealthfront. Wealthfront is the most tax-efficient, low-cost, hassle-free way to invest. Now, many of you I know are interested in simplifying your investment strategy. You want to reduce fees. You want to work with a service that you trust. And Wealthfront delivers. It builds and manages your personalized, globally diversified portfolio. To open an account, the minimum is just $500, and that gets you a periodically rebalanced, diversified portfolio of low-cost index funds. There are zero trading fees, zero hidden fees, and advisory fees that are just a fraction of traditional advisors. In fact, Wealthfront manages your first $10,000 for free. To learn more and sign up, visit Wealthfront.com. Happy Monday. We got a good show for you today. Speaking with a pioneer financial blogger, he's one of the first to sell his blog for seven figures. Jim Wang is here. He founded Bargaineering.com. It was a side hobby that eventually brought in a full-time income for him. And then less than five years later, he sold the site for $3 million. And by the way, he says he started the blog because he was bored. Today, Jim has a new online venture, a website called WalletHacks.com. He launched it last fall. And I have to say, it's pretty spectacular in both its vision and its its delivery. There are articles, tools, and tips on building money systems, how to live fully, save, spend wisely, and pay down debt. Jimison featured in the New York Times, Baltimore Sun, Entrepreneur, and Marketplace Money, and now excited to say he is here on this podcast. We learned from Jim stories from his childhood. His parents came to the U.S. in the late 70s. What was his introduction to money in that family? How his growth strategy for wallet hacks will be different than how he grew bargaineering.com and how you can still master your finances when you are forgetful. Jim is pretty forgetful, but he's figured out a way to stay on top of his money. And just for So Money listeners, Jim has created a special page, wallethacks.com forward slash so money, where we can go to enter in for a big 10 book giveaway of some personal finance classics. And of course, my book is among the list. You're so Money is uh, one of the headlines, and he's giving you a one-week head start on everyone else because, well, he's he's a nice guy. Wallethacks.com forward slash so money. Go there, check it out, sign up, and uh, try to win those 10 books. That would be pretty awesome. Great way to start your new year. Here is Jim Wang. Jim Wang, welcome to So Money, my friend. I haven't seen you since FinCon, and you've been very busy launching another website. We'll get to uh, learning more about wallet hacks in a moment, but how are you? I'm doing great. How are you? Good. Happy post holidays. I know you have a you have two little ones, and <laughs> you were mentioning you were home with them for ten days straight. Yeah, uh, are, it's, you, uh, are you doing it's survival mode? How's the whiskey? Is it the whiskey? It's is, less is, less whiskey than I had before. <laughs> is it nearby? A few more, a few more gray hairs, but oh no one got hurt. No one got okay. sick. Okay, everyone's so healthy. Good, yeah. good, good. Well, it's a start to 2016, and uh, WalletHacks.com is your new baby. 
Tell us a little bit about it. Uh, you obviously have a history with making successful websites, selling bargaineering for $3 million uh, years ago. And now Wallet Hacks. What is Wallet Hacks? And how is it different from all the other wet financial sites in the marketplace? I'm sure you did your homework on this. I, I did a little bit of homework, a little bit of history and sort of domain expertise. And I think, you know, I started bargaineering back in the day because I was interested in personal finance and learning more. And nowadays I'm, I'm interested in sort of the wealth building and then understanding how different people are able to find success through just managing their money a little bit smarter. And I stumbled on the name Wallet Hacks because I, I sort of feel like, you know, in order to get ahead, you need to take non-traditional ways to, to building and maintaining and growing your wealth. And that's sort of what Wallet Hacks is about. It services all sorts of people at different stages of their lives. And, and I think that's where you are different and you really identify with people depending on what their goals are, because that's kind of when we start to think about money, right? We don't really think about money every day. We think about money when we have to buy a house, when we have to go to school, when we have to send our kids to college. That's right. I think we think of it at big moments in our lives and these different milestones and not all milestones are the same for everyone. You know, like not everyone gets married, not everyone has kids, but if they do, those are oftentimes when they start thinking about things like estate planning and taxes and things like that. And so, you know, as I've gone through life and sort of grown up and hit these milestones, I've always felt like a lot of them are same across, you know, regardless of your sort of financial life situation. Like if you get married, there are certain steps that you'll take right afterwards that everyone should take regardless of their finances. And so, you know, one of the things I've tried to do is build a section on the site where these are guides to sort of collect that core set of things that you should be doing. I mean, for example, you know, you get married and that's when you really start thinking about estate planning, mm-hmm. right? Because now, you know, two finances become one, uh, that whole merging Insurance. process. Exactly. And you, know, you have kids, estate planning is huge. You know, those are sort of the things that I've grappled with lately with the two kids. And so, you know, it's sort of, I want to help people fix that core aspect and not have to rediscover it each time. Right. And I, and I, I find that people, especially these days, we're so busy. We have a lot on our plates. Just tell me what to do. Just tell me where to go to sign up for the estate plan. Just tell me how to find a financial planner. I, I can't be bothered with the research. So sites like Wallet Hacks helps you kind of get to your destination a lot faster. Yeah, and what's hard is because you do the research and then now you're exhausted right. looking at all these options. Or more and now confused. You have to decide. Yeah, exactly. And you don't actually take the action, which is the important part. And so, you know, having these checklists have has helped me, has helped my friends in that now they know I have these 10 things I need to do. I don't have to do all 10 today and I don't need to keep track because this checklist helps me keep track. And I just do one and then maybe next week I do two. Maybe next week I feel really ambitious. I do the next three, but then I don't have to worry about it and have it hang over my head. So here's a business question for you, Jim. Business lessons learned from bargaineering as far as launching, growing, and then the exit strategy, selling. How are you going to change or or be consistent this time with wallet hacks? What did you learn worked and didn't work? And and how is that going to play out with your new venture online? That's a really interesting question that I haven't spent a time. Well, I know that back in the day, so bargaining was 2005 is when I started it. Uh, and I had it until 2010. A lot of it was SEO driven. Like social media wasn't as big. I don't think Facebook even existed. I mean, back then it was MySpace and like 
GeoCities for the folks that can remember that. I remember MySpace. I remember Friendster. Remember Friendster? I remember Friendster. <laughs> yeah. We those, are old. We're, now, now you made me feel really old. <laughs> I might be a little older than you. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. We'll, 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 we'll figure it out later. Yeah. Not, not right now. Not on record. <laughs> yeah. So true. Bargaineering was born at a time. Timing is always important. It's an, it's an important element when you're launching a business. But uh, today, much crowded marketplace. So how are you going to keep head above water and how are you going to make a splash now? Well, what's interesting is, so if you look back 2005 till 2010, a lot of it was search engine optimization. There wasn't so much relationship building as it was, you know, try to rank highly in the search engines, get traffic in, convert it onto an affiliate program of some kind, some product. And then that was it. It was one-off relationships. There was very little social media. There was very little email marketing, uh, at least when it came to bloggers. It existed in, you know, direct response and other areas. But what you see nowadays is it's more relationships. It's more social media, Twitter, Pinterest, Facebook, all those. And I I think these businesses are now, they almost feel more real. They're more defensible. I mean, back in the day, we were always afraid if Google adjusted their algorithm, then your business could be, you know, blown up overnight. And that was always something that hung over your head. Well, if you have email and you have social media and people are actively looking for you specifically, then... You know, it's a far stronger business. And one of the really fascinating things to see was, if you think about personal finance blogs that existed back then that exist today, uh, the ones that are still sort of personally owned have survived because they have strong communities. I mean, I remember Ramit Sethi, I'll Teach You to Be Rich. He, his In the beginning, was a personal finance blog. Nowadays, it's a series of courses and training and coaching. And, you know, it's all based on the relationships he has with his customers. And these aren't, you know, one-off search engine visits. So it's, I think these days, in order to have a successful business, you have to build those relationships and, and really feed that and nurture it. And I just interviewed someone the other day who has built an entire company on relationship strategy. So just to, you know, put a nice bow on what you just said, I think yeah. <laughs> it's, it's really, really true. Let's talk a little about your background. You are not a financial advisor, um, you don't have any certifications. You're not a coach, but you've been writing about money for over 10 years. What's the biggest thing you've learned about money? What's your financial philosophy? My financial philosophy is to keep track of everything. I'm, my background is in software, uh, computer science. And, you know, I've always been a little bit lazy. And so in my laziness, I don't like to try to remember things. And the solution to that is just to write it down. It's to track everything, you know, computer science is it thing where we always have to comment every line of code, not, maybe not every line, but you, know, you comment your code so you have to go back and try to figure it out. Well, in finances, it's the same. You know, There are certain things that I do every single month to make sure that I'm on top of my money. And it makes it so that I don't have to remember you know, transactions that happened three months ago. I don't have to remember what I was trying to do with what. And so I, I just feel like you should always be tracking everything you're doing, keeping some sort of journal, and then always be looking to improve your processes whenever you can. You said you started bargaineering because you were bored. I I was. So you're lazy and bored and then you sold a company for $3 million. Connect those dots for me. So what's interesting is when when I was a kid, I used to play a lot of video games, not surprisingly. And, you know, my my mom would always say, oh, you know, you can't grow up and do that for a living. And, you know, well, fast forward today, you probably could. Some people could make it a living. But 
my, I always enjoyed solving problems. And what ended up happening was I started this journal about personal finance and it, it started growing and growing and it became a puzzle for me because, you know, I knew websites existed. I knew some people were making money on the internet, maybe not a ton, but if they could do it, I can do it. And so it became a puzzle I wanted to solve. And I remember the first time I discovered an affiliate link, it was for like Commission Junction. And back in the day, their tracking links were like this gibberish of letters because, you know, that's easy to register, cheap. And I was like, what are these people doing? And so I, I figured it out as affiliate marketing. And from there, just grew this business. And it's all because I like solving puzzles. And it was mm-hmm. like a game to me. Your parents came to the States in 78. So did mine, in fact, uh, from Iran. Yours came from Taiwan on a one-way ticket on a student visa. Again, similar to my parents' story. Uh, what did growing up in an immigrant, in, as a first generation, what, did, what kind of exposure did you have to money and how was money introduced to you as a child? It, what's interesting is that to this day, I have no idea how much my parents made. I, I, I take that back. I remember seeing a FAFSA form once when I was uh-huh. like, I was a freshman in college. Were you surprised? Were you? Oh, well, I had no context. So I had no idea. It was just a number <laughs> on a piece of paper. Huh. And, you know, no one ever really talked about how much money their parents made or things like that. So I just never thought about it. But for us, we were, we were frugal and smart with our money because every two or three years or four years, we were able to fly back, all four of us, back to Taiwan. And that's, you know, that's a $1,500 maybe even more, I don't, I don't know, I was a kid, per person flight every few years. And that's why we saved our money. And so while I was never directly taught many money lessons, one of the things I always remembered was, you know, you need to have a goal when you're saving money because that's that's what motivates you. And so my parents were like, well, in order for us to see any of our family in Taiwan, we have to save up monies for all four of us to go. And that requires some sacrifice. And so- I've, I've, that's one of the big lessons that I've taken. And what's funny is at the time as a kid, you're like, oh, I want this. I want that. You know, I'm going to play with it for 15 minutes and forget about it. My parents are like, no, we can't get that. No, we can't get that. And it wasn't until I was maybe a young teenager, I started realizing like, there's a reason why we're saving this money. Because so, Taiwan. Because, yeah, we're visiting family mm-hmm. and this is very important. And the what really cemented it is that sometimes we would leave and you don't know when you'll be back. And so my mom would be, you know, on the taxi ride to the airport, like crying because you don't know if we won't be back for four years. A lot happens in four years. Right. Yeah, that that brings me flashbacks too. I know when my grandparents used to leave, uh, they would come to the States that back when it was easy to do and they were healthy enough to come and fly the 20 hour flight from Iran. And so because they had to layover and all that uh but I remember my mom would be so devastated because you're right. You, know, I mean, they. She went like almost ten years without seeing her parents again. We were very regular in the beginning. Every three years, every two years, they we would see each other, and then it was just so difficult. Um, and I think what a lesson, you know. I think that anchor of going to Taiwan as an adult now. Do you do you do that with your kids? I mean, they're so young, but there's probably things that you have every year with your wife that you want to save up for. That's a big expense that will require trade-offs. Yeah, and the reality is is that you can't have everything you want, and in order to have the things that you do, you make that sacrifice. And we actually took our our oldest back to China. Uh, for like a sort of family gathering when our, when he was one, it it was worth it for sure. 
But you know, like you said, a 20 hour flight, I forget how long ours was. It was like 18, 19 with a one year old is a disaster. Oh my gosh. I'm, I'm having nightmares about taking Evan on a three and a half hour flight to Miami. <laughs> in February. It, 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 was, it was like a year before we flew, oh like even like 45 minutes. Oh. It was just like, forget it. It was too much. Everyone told me when you have a child, the best time to fly is before they turn one or before they're walking. Mm-hmm. And, uh, couldn't be more true. And and now I don't know how we're going to, we're going to do this uh, trip, but uh, you know what? You tell me 18 hours. I can do three. I can do three. Evan can can do do three. three. You You said that the most valuable thing you learned in college, I snooped around your website a little bit. You know, you studied computer science and economics and um, got a master's in IT, but you said the most valuable thing was problem solving, which you really enjoy. What's the biggest problem you ever solved with your money, Jim? The biggest problem, I have a big problem with sort of that organizational aspect of it. Like all these papers, all these diagrams, how do I get that system in place? Because it's sort of going from chaos into something that I can manage. And I think I just picked up bits and pieces from a variety of places to settle on the system that I have now. And I think one of the one of the fun things about personal finance blogging is there are all these blogs, all these different ways of doing things. You sort of pick and choose what you like, try it out. If you like it, keep doing it some more. If you don't like it, swap it out with something else. And I think we've settled on a, on a pretty good system right now. Share the system. What's the system? So the system is every month I track our net worth and we use a bunch of tools to pull in the, the various different numbers from, from the accounts. And then I use that as sort of like a historical record. I couple it with a journal that explains what the different accounts are. I mean, I started doing that because we had private investments with different individuals and it wasn't something that appeared on, you know, a bank statement. And so I was able to put that all in a journal and explains, this was really like a journal. If I were to die, this is how you find everything. This is where, who to call. (laughs) Yeah. Where do you keep it? I keep it in a shared file. And what's your address? No, I'm kidding. Yeah. (laughs) What's what are your coordinates? My coordinates. Uh, I wish I knew. <laughs> I don't know where I live. I don't live anywhere. I'm a no- You're just flying in space. What would you say is your so money moment, Jim? A moment in your in your financial life that you feel you achieved greatness. What happened and where were you? This is a really good question. Uh, I So I think my so money moment wasn't an actual moment of greatness, but it sort of precipitated it. It was when I quit my job to work on bargaining full time. And, you know, coming from, you know, a first, I was a first generation immigrant. Education was very important, right? It's the path towards prosperity and stability, financial stability. And so all, all as I was growing up, it was do well in school, get good grades, go to a good college, graduate, get a good job, raise a family, yada, yada. And, you know, that's what was drilled in my head. And so here I am, I started a journal on the side, you know, problem solving, figuring out I can make a little bit of money. Now it makes more than my job. And I started thinking maybe I should be doing this full time. But for the last 24 years, I've been told like the path that you should be taking. And my parents were very pragmatic. They were not like the stereotypical, you must do this. You must become a doctor, dentist, or lawyer in order to succeed in life. If you aren't, then you'll be a failure. They weren't like that at all. And and so here I was going, maybe I can work on this 
internet website. Right. How do you explain to immigrant parents what you're doing? I think that's a challenge that's unique to first generation kids. Because like you said, your parents want you to go to school, but there's like four things that they expect you to either become. It's a doctor, lawyer, engineer, professor. Mm. And, but like with a web, a webmaster, a <laughs> web genius, what is that? How do you make it less abstract for them? And does it matter? They just like to see that you're not living, you know, in your car. Yeah, I'm not living. I'm not living in my car. I'm not living in their base. They don't have a base. They're you're not living with them. In their house. Yeah. <laughs> I think so. The big thing is, you know, you have to have a plan. Like you have to explain to them, like this isn't. I'm, I'm not quitting my job to to do some like frivolous thing. Like I have this plan. This is what's happened so far. It generates more income than my full time job. And this is what I plan on doing with my time. And this is the path forward. And I, I know it's, like I said, my parents were very pragmatic. I don't know what it would have been like if they were more traditional. Uh, but, you know, I, I just laid out this plan and it gave them confidence that I, I thought through my decision. It wasn't just spur of the moment. I said, you know, it, within these few years, I'm going to do this. We'll see what happens. And yeah. And my, I remember my dad said, are you sure? That's all he said. And as I mean, I'm sure, you know, th- those three words can like make your head like spin. Yeah. You'd be like, am I, am I sure? Oh, come on, dad. Yeah. Like, can't you? <laughs> dot, dot, dot. Oh, yeah. That could, that's a many a sleepless nights. Yeah. But look that's- at you now. Look at me now, mom, dad. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, I, what's, what's funny is that it was never, it's never like a ha. See, I could do it. You didn't think like they believed in me. That that was more reserved for my friends who, in the beginning, would would jokingly say, "How's that website doing?" And so that that I'm not really fueled by I don't know what the word is like anger or being upset at what people think about me, right? A lot of it's driven by the the problem solving, mm-hmm. but a little bit is in there. Sure, where I'm of like, course. Ha. ha ha ha. So. I we know there are many people, not many, but I would say a, a good number of people, especially in the FinCon community, because personal finance blogs are hot and they end up getting sold. You are one of the few who has been public about what you made in the sale, in the transaction. Was that intentional? I've actually never said it because I don't think I'm allowed, but it was it was in an SEC filing. Mm. So then other people said it. Gotcha. Okay. Has it been weird? No, it hasn't. People are actually. Yeah. How is. Yeah. What was the aftermath of that? It's nothing really. I don't I don't know if I intimidate people or what, but it it wasn't really much of a response other than, oh, that's awesome. No one asking you for money. (laughs) No, no one asked me for money. I mean, maybe Jim Wang is too generic a name. How about your parents, though? That's pretty awesome for them to learn. Yeah, they were they were excited. I'm sure they told everybody. Everybody, like it was in the village newsletter. Yeah, even though they weren't supposed to, they, they probably told. <laughs> they ac- they would accidentally leave the SEC filing on their dining room table <laughs> <laughs> and highlight the section. Highlight, yeah, like, like the section in like page. You gotta read 50. this. It's, it's a great. It's a real page turner, especially page, page four page. item. Yeah. You know, line item C. Uh, Jim, tell me a little bit about your habits. You've already talked about systems and writing everything down. And so maybe we've beaten this to death, but I would like to hear more about what you personally do, say on a day-to-day basis that helps you with your financial health. I actually don't do anything on a day-to-day basis. So I very much believe in like the whole automation, like automatic bill paying. I just like to scan, look at things 
visually at the end of the month. And the rest of the time I focus on growing, growing my business, you know, staying physically active, playing with the kids, you know, hanging out with my wife, things like that. I mean, I think that if you put systems in place and then you spend, you have to spend some time, you know, monitoring them and things like that, but it's not something you need to do every single day. And so I try, that's where the laziness comes in. I guess it's coupled with the problem solving in some way. But how how many hours a day do you quote unquote work? Are you are you living the four hour work week? I am not because so one thing my dad has always you know how when you get older, like things that your parents tell you like start to really resonate mm-hmm. and you're like, Wow, I wish well he told me, you know, like he used to say, like, Oh, you're a smart kid and you can do things in, you know, that would take other people 15 minutes. You can do it in 10. Now, what are you going to do with the other five? And so I'm constantly like, what am I going to do with the other five? What am I going to do with the five? Like, I'm, I need <laughs> a to lot get, of pressure. I, it is a lot of pressure. That and are you sure <laughs> together? <laughs> like, I think you should have a podcast with your dad and he would just ask these questions like, did you really, uh, did you really mean it that way? Or are you sure? And, and then, and then all, I would drink all my whiskey. Yeah. And then he'll go, really? Really? Um, that's hilarious. Jim, let's do some so money fill in the blanks. This is when I start a sentence and you finish it. First thing that comes to mind. If I won the lottery tomorrow, let's say a hundred million bucks, the first thing I would do is I would laugh. <laughs> You'd be like, wait, me? Because I never play the lottery. No, <laughs> this is a mistake. Uh, and then you take the money and run. <laughs> yeah, no, I would definitely not they say came, it's a mistake. They rang the wrong doorbell, but you take yeah, the I would not. Anyway. I would not say it's a mistake. I would laugh and be like, thank you. No, uh, I think so. There are like a couple vacations we take each year where we meet up with a bunch of friends, and I I just think it'd be a lot of fun to like just buy like a vacation house. It's like not really feasible, at all. like I don't want to deal with it on a real level where you like have to maintain it. And oh, just you know, throw have, money at it now. It's all good. Yeah, a hundred million. I mean, I feel like <laughs> you know I've I've earned it. I mean, Richard Branson has an island. It. Think about all the overhead there. Yeah, all the all the lawns he has to trim. Jeez. He's not doing it. Someone else Poor is. guy. I know. Man, he's, had, he's had a rough, an <laughs> island. How did he get stuck with that? Yeah, little loser. <laughs> uh, one thing I spend on that makes my life easier or better is? Vacations. Where are you guys going this year? It's New Year. Have you made plans? We So last year we went to uh, Puerto Rico, to San Juan, and the kids loved it. And I hope we can go this year, even though they're going bankrupt. And and, and we like it perfect. because my, perfect my, time to go to, I know my son keeps saying San Wong. <laughs> we'll go back he to San it's Wong. named after him. Yeah, Sam, and I'm like, yes, Sam Wang, Sam Wang. Yeah. Um, like, yeah. Well, how do you guys do it? Because you have a two year old and a four year old. I went on a vacation with at that, that point he was like a little over a year, and it was not really a vacation because. We didn't have any, no one to like take a, help me to take a break so I could take a shower um, or cook. It was just constant. It was like hamster on a wheel. Um, so you got to go with couples with family, uh, with kids. So that you can, yeah. like, they can play with each other and then you can have your pina coladas. Yeah. And then there's sort of like a group mentality. You have to go with other parents that have kids because they're also sort of like in monitoring mode. Like people without kids like aren't really paying attention to the kids with the same level of attention mm-hmm. but if you go in a group then sort of everyone's looking at everyone and as long as the average is lower get lower <laughs> than what you were dealing with before you know then then you sort of went out 
So, Jim, how about this? One thing I splurge on is. I feel like this is a broken record with vacations. <laughs> right, when I go no, on vacation, say something else. Like- You're not allowed to say vacations. There's got to be something else that you spend on. That's a big. That's big ticket. It's not big. It's not nominally big, mm-hmm. but like in terms of convenience, like we like going out to eat. Um, we tend to go out on lunches more because at night they're the kids and kids. That's not a luxury if you take kids out to eat at a restaurant nearly as much. Absolutely. So we like to go out to nice restaurants to eat. Sometimes we go out for like a lot of happy hours and it's just, it gives us sort of the, the adult time that we find to be extremely valuable when you have kids. Mm-hmm. So that's, we, we splurge on that. There are also fewer people in the restaurants during lunch hour, depending on where you're going. And so if there's ever a meltdown, <laughs> oh, not yeah. that I've ever, ever experienced a meltdown with my kid. Never. Angels. Angels. And he eats like a champ. Never throws anything on the ground or regurgitates. Um, Let's let's answer this. Uh, When I was growing up, the one thing I wish I had learned about money is? That it's not everything. I think that when I was growing up, I thought that, you know, you had to save all this money. And, you know, when you were younger, I didn't know that it was because it was going to Taiwan. So I didn't have the goal aspect of it until much later. But I was always had that sense that you had to save all this money, save all this money for the future. But what was the future? Like there was no sense of that. Mm-hmm. And so that created like a little bit of like a mental tension as I grew older. Because then, you know, there were things that I would want. I'm like, ah, well, I guess I don't really need it that badly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A friend said to me once, <clears throat> she's like, what are you saving all this money for? You know, there there should be a goal. And at some point in life or points in life, you need to spend because that's why you're saving. Otherwise, what's the point of <laughs> making yeah. money and saving and living your life? So that and I was young and I and I, I think I like you, I was it was just drilled in me that you just have to hoard everything that you make. Not that I was doing that, but I just I, I got to a point where I had some substantial savings and felt like I could never do anything with it, that it wasn't right to do anything with it. But that's an incorrect way to think like you should do re, you know practical valuable things with that money and especially if you're in a bind that's what the money's there for and it became a challenge when whenever i had the business because i was like well do i really need that no i don't really need that i could just do a little extra work when in fact i should hire someone to take some take away some of the responsibilities mm-hmm. so i can focus on growing the business right that's when it actually did not bit me but probably slowed down the growth a little bit and increase the stress. When I donate, I like to give to blank because we, we donate to a trust that we created. I guess that's more sort of like the technical aspect of it from there. Uh, it's generally to uh, like a medical condition mm-hmm. and it, it all goes back to like, we all, I'm sure everyone has a relative that has passed away due to cancer or, you know, some other medical condition that was incurable. And one of the things that I'd always remembered, again, going back to my parents, I think my grandfather said this, like if you're if all your problems can be solved with money, you're in good shape, right? But those medical issues, those problems, they, those aren't solved with more money. And so I always feel like if you mm-hmm. have some now, you know, it's sort of like paying it forward a little bit. Yeah. I like that. <clears throat> okay. And I'm Jim Wang. This is the, the final shebang. I'm Jim Wang. I'm so money because. Because 
I get to do what I love. I like to help people and, you know, put value out in the world and then get paid back a little bit of it or a lot of it. <laughs> hopefully and, a lot uh, of it. Yeah, I'm not. But, you know, I, I get to help people and, and hopefully make meaningful changes in, in people's lives. Well, I think I'm pretty sure you're, you're changing lives on this podcast. I think this was oh, a really you. great interview, Jim, and I, I've been looking forward to it. I know we had some time at FinCon to chat, but this was nice to really learn more about your background and Wallet Hacks is officially online. It's live. I know when we met, it was almost ready to, to, to go out there in the world. So congratulations and good luck with that. Happy New Year and wishing you guys many more trips in your future. Thank you. Thank you. This was a lot of fun. Thank you. That's a wrap. If you'd like to learn more about Jim, check out wallethacks.com forward slash so money. Go there, check it out, sign up. Jim is also on Twitter at Wangarific. In case you missed any of this, go to somoneypodcast.com where you can download the podcast, grab the transcript, and leave a comment for this episode and all previous episodes. And of course, as always, leave me your comments, your thoughts, your questions about money, podcasting, family, time management. I get it all, and I really try to do my best to answer your questions every Friday on this show. And sign up for somoneypodcast.com's newsletter, and that way you can learn what's happening behind the scenes. I'll take you backstage to the new CNBC show. It'll be lots of fun. So uh, sign up. And of course, there's a free gift to go along with that. My So Money Secrets book compilation of some of the best interviews on this show and how people like Tony Robbins, Robert Kiyosaki and James Altucher manage their money. Thanks so much for tuning in, everyone. Have a great rest of your week and hope to see you back here tomorrow. Hope your day is so money.